So it's, it's very interesting um, when we hear the word prophecy. Usually when we hear that word, we think of the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament prophets, the minor prophets and the major prophets that were giving us a word that was leading us from the people of Israel being held in captivity and in struggle and in strife towards this glorious prophetic Messiah that was going to be coming to them in the New Testament is where we see that. And yet in the New Testament, we get this additional beautiful vision of what it looks like for prophecy to continue even after Jesus came. And we see a lot of um, prophetic words specifically in Daniel and in Revelation about what it looks like for the Lord to come back. But what about all that time in between? What about that moment from Jesus's birth in a humble manger until today? How does the prophetic word continue to speak during that period of time? And how are we to listen in the waiting? Ryan is my oldest son. He is getting ready to be 21 years old next month and is getting ready to graduate from Mount Vernon. And he is a stellar young man. For those of you that know Ryan, you're like, yeah, you meet Ryan Kuhn and you immediately think he is your best friend. Like the dude just oozes, yeah, everybody's like, yeah, I barely know him, but he's my best friend, right? Like he just has that personality. He's not perfect by any means, but he just has that personality. He was a horrid baby, like real horrid from like the moment he was conceived until about a year old. Um, there was nothing good uh, that came from any of it. Like he just was not a good baby. And he cried all the time. And so there was this one time that it actually helped me out. We lived in the parsonage at the Harrisonville Church of the Nazarene on the property there in this, uh, in this little house. And, and I rarely got knocks at my front door because my back door was at the church parking lot. So anybody that needed to talk to me usually came to my back door because that's where friends came from. If you came to my front door, I knew you probably wasn't a friend. And so the knock comes on the door and I open it and there's these two young guys standing there dressed very nicely with their ties and their jackets. You know where we're going, right? And so these Jehovah's Witnesses begin to share with me and I'm like, dude, do you know where I live? Do you know who owns this house? But I didn't. I was kind and I stood and I smiled and Ryan had been laying on the couch. He'd finally fallen asleep, which I was so thankful for because he never slept. And so I stood and I listened to them and they started out with this. This was the phrase they started out with. Do you believe that there is still a prophetic word today? And I said, absolutely. I still believe that that we are hearing prophecy today that leads us towards Christ's return and prophecy that is good for our lives and for the way that we live today. Well, they were dumbfounded. Because <laughs> apparently most evangelical Christians don't answer the question like that. And they were like, oh, okay, well, let us tell you about... I was like, hold on just a second, though. I said, I don't believe in any prophecy that counters the prophetic word that is in the canon, in the actual scriptures. So New Testament, Old Testament, that prophecy lays the foundation. If you're saying anything prophetic that is contradictory to what is in that book, then, then it's not real. It's not true prophecy. And at that very moment, Ryan began to scream his face off. <laughs> and I said, thanks be to God. I'm sorry, gentlemen. I have to go take care of my baby. This is what he does all the time. 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it says, In the last days it shall be that God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and, on, and you, your sons and your daughters, shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. The prophecy of God continues to live and is vibrant, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that we have an example of of prophets all throughout Scripture, but I'm specifically thankful as a woman who has been called to preach that we have the example of female prophetesses in Scripture that give us a foundation of what it looks like for women to be speaking and preaching and prophesying about God our Father. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Now you know what happens in Luke chapter 2, right? Jesus is born, but there's also some other things that happen in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, there is a prophetess named Anna, and Anna has been living in the temple most of her life. We're going to read the passage in just a minute to give you a little more details. And this prophetess Anna is one of many that are listed in Scripture. She's among the, the title prophetess isn't just for her, but also we think of Miriam, the worship leader and the sister of Moses for the people of Exodus. We think of Deborah, the judge. That's who I want to be when I grow up. I read about Deborah and judges, and I'm like, mm, you go, girl. You go, girl. You step up. Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom in Second Chronicles. Isaiah's wife. We also think about, we often think about Isaiah as being a major prophet in Old Testament scripture. But it tells us that Isaiah's wife was also a prophetess. And then in Acts chapter 21, Philip's four unmarried daughters were also prophetesses of Jesus, of God. Man, what a, what a beautiful example of what it looks like for God to use everyday ordinary people for his great majestic prophetic works all throughout scriptures. And there are, we're going to read five passages of scripture. You can stand with me if you'd like today. From Luke chapter 2. But really, only three, Anna only makes three, three verses. That's it. That's all that she makes. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. So we're going to go back just a little bit. Jesus' parents had brought him to the temple so that he could be dedicated to the Lord and he could be circumcised there. All of the things that were supposed to happen in the temple on that eighth day, he, they brought Jesus to the temple for that purpose. And so Simeon was there and he prophesied over Jesus, but Anna was also there. Anna was there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phineal from the tribe of Asher and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. And then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Okay, I don't necessarily like the New Living Translation here. I'm going to give you a brief inner interjection. So originally the Greek tells us that she lived 84 years in the temple, like the wording clashes. And so some people go, oh, she was 84 years old at this point. The rest of us go, if she was married at 14, she was probably closer to 105 years old. So there's a little bit of contradiction in scripture. I go a little bit more towards the, that original Greek that said that she lived in the temple for 84 years. So we're going to say that she was 105 years old. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. And she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She just happened to show up. And she talked about that child to everyone who had been waiting, expect, 
expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. And when Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. And there the child grew up healthy and strong and was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. The word of God for the people of God today. You may be seated. Anna was a woman of God living a holy life. She was set apart for the purposes of God and had lived in the temple for the sake of worshiping the Lord. And we read all of this, and it's just this beautiful image. I see like like my grandmother in this, my grandmother who, who loves the Lord, who I know is praying for me, and I see her face, and I feel her heart, and I can I could see my grandma's hands on the face of Jesus. I can see it there. But this story doesn't start out with promise and with hope and with redemption. The story starts out with devastation. There is nothing worse for a woman during this period of time in this culture than to be a widow at a young age, probably in her early 20s. The the glory of her life would have been to be married, to have a family, to birth children, and none of that was in the cards for her. So this story really begins in a very sad and hurting place. But the hopeful undertones of what God has in store for Anna is beautiful. The promise of what she receives is glorious and is life-changing It was life-changing for her, and I think it's going to be life-changing for us today. Before we dig into that, though, I have a friend who um, has been attending here at TC NAS for a while, and several, um, I don't know, good heavens, it was about three months ago after a service, she came up to me and she said, I believe God is calling me. You guys can come on up. She said, I believe God is calling me to start a grief group. And I was like, Kristen, that's amazing. And um, I've invited her to share a little bit of her story with you today. Thank you guys so much. And Hunter. Thanks, Hunter. Don't, don't mind. Good morning. Um, my name is Kristen. This is my son, Hunter. Uh, we moved to Tip City uh, about four and a half years ago and started going here at the church off and on and still went to our Sydney Nazarene church from time to time. But now we are here a majority of the time. Um, When I was 29, 2015, I married my best friend, Corey, Hunter's dad, and three and a half months later, we lost Corey to cancer. I'm sorry, not three and a half months later. It was about 10 months later when Hunter was three and a half months old. Um, When we got married, we had no idea Corey was sick. There was, he was fine. He didn't even have a family doctor. Um, About two months later, he started with a cough, and that was all he had pretty much the whole time anyway. Uh, But the cough lingered, and antibiotics for sinus infections turned into a mass on his neck, which turned into, you have cancer, and um, threw us a lot of curveballs. So dealing with pregnancy, dealing with 30-plus doctor's appointments every month, trying to get through and and make sure Corey's getting the treatment he needs, everything was still looking pretty positive. Uh, We had Hunter in March of 2016. And then in May of 2016, Corey finished his last chemo treatment, 
and the doctors were saying the word cure, we're going to cure you. This is a speed bump in your, in your um, past. Next year, we're going to be over this. And about two days after he finished his last chemo treatment, he developed pneumonia, which then turned into sepsis. We spent four days in ICU at Wilson Hospital in Sydney, went home for a weekend, and then went back into the ICU. Within 12 hours, we were on a vent and care flighted over to the James, where we spent 12 days fighting for his life. Uh, we quickly realized that things were not going to go the way we were hoping. And on June 18th of 2016, we ended his suffering and we let him go home to the Lord, which I know without a doubt that's where he's at. So Corey passed away 10 days before our one-year wedding anniversary. I had a three-and-a-half-month-old at the time, and it was the day before his first Father's Day. So pretty tragic. Um, we did not get to do the things we had planned. We had all kinds of dreams planned for multiple children and buying my parents' house and having a country home and a lot of land, and it just didn't work that way for us. The first year was, pardon my language, pure hell, uh, without a doubt. It, it was very rough. Every one of Hunter's first was without his dad, his first birthday, his first words, his walking. Um, and I was not anywhere close to the Lord at that point in time. I was very angry. I felt like he did not help us. Um, but I had a group that my father pushed me to go to. Um, it was a young widow's group out of Centerville. They don't operate anymore because of COVID. But I went to it mainly just to shut him up because he kept driving me crazy to go. And I said, fine, I'll go once and then you're going to leave me alone. And I went the first time, and I sat there, and I thought, there's nobody in this world that knows what I'm going through. They're, they can't. It's impossible. And I listened to 27 other women, all under the age of 40, some with children, some pregnant, some with uh, one lady had a two-year-old twin boys, who were all going through exactly what I was going through. And I met people who had survived their grief and had made it through and I found hope in them. So at the end of it, I said, you guys really only meet once a month? Because <laughs> I could come back tomorrow. <laughs> but um, I went to that group for two years. And it really is one of the biggest things that saved me. Um, I found hope. I realized that I was not alone, that I was not crazy, that the fact that I couldn't remember things was actually a real thing. And um, I found ways to to cope with our grief for both Hunter and myself. So I stopped going to that group. I was, I was attending church finally. It took me a little while to get there, but I, I attended church. I found the Lord. I was baptized a couple of years later. And um, now the Lord is where I find my peace. And when I'm struggling and when things are rough and I fear things, that is the first person I go to. And it helps tremendously. So I decided that I needed to start a grief group. I was supposed to start it two years ago up in Sydney, and COVID happened that week that we were going to have our first meeting. So it got pushed back, and then we moved to TIP, and so now we're here. So we've had two meetings so far. Um, we have the second Thursday of the month from 6 to 7.30. We meet in Pastor Rachel's office. Uh, it is open to women about 50 and under, but if you're over 50, I'm not going to turn you away. 
Um, any kind of loss is accepted. It, it doesn't have to be the loss of a spouse. It can be a, a child. It could be a divorce. It could whatever you're grieving. We want to help you with that. Uh, it is free. It doesn't matter what your religious beliefs are. It doesn't matter if you have a home church or not. You are more than welcome to come. And we also, thanks to the women's ministry, now have child care that will be provided. So if that is something that will help you out and, and get you over any hurdle you have of coming, we can provide child care too. Uh, we have information on the back wall. We have information on Facebook. And you can feel free to talk to me anytime you'd like. I'd be happy to give you my phone number, my email, whatever you need. Romans 8.28 says, God works all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. In those moments of grief and doubt, brokenness and hurt, Anna found comfort in the one place that she knew that she could go, to the temple, to the house of the Lord, to the place that, that she, know, she knew that she could go and she could encounter God there. And there were two lessons that she teaches us specifically in her life and in her story that are vital for us today. The first one is she prayed consistently. The second is that she persevered patiently. The biographical account of Anna reveals to us that she was a prayer warrior. She prayed night and day. And when God chose a handful of believers who testified to his birth, God chose someone who prayed, who sought after him through prayer and gained insight that many failed to grasp and understand. And I'm sure that she was familiar with the prophecy of Jeremiah that said, call upon me and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know yet. Anna saw the great and mighty things of God. A wise man of God once said, you will never tell people about Jesus until you tell Jesus about people. It's through prayer. The Bible says that we gain wisdom. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, then what? What should you do? You should ask for it and let God, who gives generously without reproach, grant you that wisdom. The disciples received the Holy Spirit through the power of the witness and prayer in the upper room. Strongholds have been torn down, walls devastated, cities conquered. Doors have been opened through prayer. Boldness to advance where spiritual armor is gained through prayer. And Anna prayed and God used her prayers to tell others about Christ. And we have an opportunity to follow her example. I, I think specifically about this, this story in Mark chapter 2. And if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. It's not on the screen today. Jesus is going around. Now, the beginning of Mark is about John the Baptist preparing the way, and then Jesus is getting right into his ministry. 
And in John chapter 2, Jesus had returned from Capernaum after several days, and the news is spreading quickly all over the place. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. He showed up. Come and see what he's doing. And, and all of a the sudden, there's this, there's this group of people who are coming before Jesus with a friend. Now, I just wonder about the prayers that had been prayed before that moment. The prayers for healing for this friend who was paralyzed and lame. I, I can imagine that they had done everything that they knew possible, taken him to every healer, every physician. And yet there he was, laying on a mat, unable to move. And they get to the house, and the thing is so jam-packed they can't get through the door. I can imagine that the house is filled with people and, and people standing outside. I, I think like it's, it may be from like felt board Bible lessons that we had whenever we were children, right? You stick the house on the felt board and then you stick Jesus on the felt board and then you stick all the people on the felt board. And I can imagine them looking through windows and putting their hand to their ear so they can hear and people looking at their neighbor going, shh, I can't hear Jesus. Like all these people surrounding the house and these guys come carrying their friend on the mat and they're looking and they're going, man, there's no way we're going to get into this place. And then they have this brilliant idea that they'll climb up on the roof. And this is a different type of climbing up on the roof. My brothers are identical triplets. I don't know that, well, most of you probably know that because I've told enough stories about them. Um, they're, you know, 40 years old now, but once upon a time they weren't. And I remember being really little, and it was the middle of the summertime, and my neighbor Pearl, she lived across the, right across the street from us, Pearl was a marvelous, uh, marvelous friend to me. She was an older lady, and if I was really good after I came home from school, she would sit on her front porch that was covered in that fake green grass, like the outdoor carpet, the fake green outdoor, and she had a little frog. Did any of you guys have the frog? Uh, like they, they were seats. They were two different seats this way, and a frog sat here and a frog sat here, and there's a little umbrella over top of it. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? They sit on the front porches. Yes. If you ever find one, buy it, and I'll pay you for it because it reminds me of Pearl every time. And so there was a little frogs, and there was little Pearl, and she sat on her front seat steps, and so if I was really good, I could go get her mail after school, take it to her, and she'd sit on her front porch, and we'd play Mother May I. And I'd start at the end of the sidewalk, and I would ask, Mother, may I? And then she would play all the games with me. Well, Pearl called my mother that day, and she said, Jody, I don't know if you know this or not, but your boys are up on the roof in their underwear. <laughs> and so my mom goes outside, and my brother said, climb to the rose trellis at the front of our house. Now, we live in West Virginia at this time, right? So um, the house looked like a one story from the front of the house. From the back of the house, it's three stories because we live on a hillside. And so there my brothers had climbed the rose trellis at the front of the house and they declared in their underwear in the middle of summer that they were looking down the chimney to make sure that Santa had not gotten stuck. <laughs> These four friends were not looking for Santa Claus. They were looking for Jesus. And so they took their friend on a mat up to the roof, cut a hole in the roof, and lowered him down through so that they could take their friend to the literal feet of Jesus. Now, we don't, we don't have that opportunity in this moment. Jesus, fully God and fully human, is not walking the face of this earth in flesh and blood like we are today. How do we take the people that we love to the feet of Jesus? We do it through prayer. We seek the Lord's face and we pray for those who are around us. We trust in the Lord. I, um, we have 
We've lost two people in the last week connected with our congregation that we love very much. And in my preparation for for preaching those sermons, I, I read an article, and in it it said this. It said, we have to quit treating eternity with God like a second-place award. Like, oh, man, we, like, uh, we love them, but at least they're with Jesus now. At least they're healed now. Like, it's a second-place trophy for what the first place could have been. That means staying with us, Right? Sometimes in our hurt, we forget that first place is being with Christ. It is the best reward. It is the most fruitful reward. It is what we all desire. Now, not today. Chad, you need to stick around for a while, all right? Like, you get to get your first place reward later on, not right now. Nobody wishes for it right now, but it's not, it's not a consolation prize. Being with Christ for eternity is the prize. And we pray with hearts of a hope, knowing that God's redemptive spirit is at work. And Anna prayed these prayers in that way. She used her spiritual imagination, knowing that the possibility of Christ being present and showing up was going to and could happen. It says, through prayer, the Bible says that the saints of God become into his presence like incense upon an altar. Now, you may not be able to convince a lost friend to come to church with you. You may not be able to talk them into reading the Gospel of John, which is a great place to start if you've never read your Bible before. They may not listen to an evangelistic testimony, but... They can't stop you from praying for them. The lost ones that you love, those who are not following after the Lord, you seek God on their behalf, and I promise you God is listening. He will direct your steps just like he directed Anna's. Think about this beautiful time that she spends praying and fasting for the Messiah to come. She knows that he's coming, and Chica is old, She's lived a long life. And that verse where it says Simeon was talking to Jesus' parents and she just happened to be there. She just happened to show up right there at the place, the Messiah that she had been prophesying about, the one that she had been hoping for and praying for, just happens to be right there in that place. I don't know that there are any coincidences in the kingdom. I do believe that through Anna's prayer, she got to experience touching the very face of God. The scripture says that Anna spoke to everyone who was looking for redemption. Now, I can't prove from the text, but I'm convinced that she told people that she had been praying. I have a feeling that she told people she was praying for them. And I wonder, are we a people of prayer? When you look at someone and you say, I will be praying for you, is it something that you actually do? I was with Pastor Stan um, quite a bit this last week. And he shared with the family, he said, I pray for you every single day. Every single day. And when I hear Pastor Stan say that, he says it to me 
On Sunday mornings, he goes, I prayed for you this morning. I know he's not just giving it lip service. It's not something to make me feel good or make somebody else feel like they are loved. I know that God's ear was bent towards me because of the words that he spoke, because of the prayers of his heart. Are you surrounded by people of prayer who are going to lift you up to the Lord daily? And are you an active participant in praying for others? We get so wrapped up in our selfish ways. We pray for the things that we want, expecting God to do the things that we desire. Sometimes we don't want ourselves to be made in the image of God. We want God to be made in our image. We want the Lord to look like us, to do the things that we would do, to make the choices that we would make. Are we praying in the presence of God? Are we fasting and seeking his face? Only a couple days away, couple weeks away from Ash Wednesday where we will begin the Lenten season of 40 days of repentance and seeking the Lord. Maybe today is the day you begin asking God, what would you have me to give up during those 40 days that will draw my heart closer to God's and bring the presence of God closer to me so that I can deliver that to the people who are around me? Praying powerfully is a huge part of Anna's story. And we persevere patiently, just like Anna did. You can't read this story without noticing the emphasis on Anna's age. Some translations, like I said before, say that she was 84 years old. Um, and others say that, that, she was, um, you know, that she was 84 years in the temple. And if we say, you know, she was 14 when she got married and she was married for seven years, then that would be about 105 years old. The point of the text is she was old. She was really old. She had lived a long life, and God had granted her the desires of her heart at a very old age. And to think about all the times in Scripture that this happens, right? We look at Abraham and Sarai and Sarah, and we look at that beautiful story of God's redemptive plan for all of humanity that came through the birth of a baby to a woman who was geriatric. It's amazing. God's calling, his redemptive work. She was widowed in an extremely difficult first century. And you remember Paul even instructs young women, young widows. She's, he says, just get remarried. That's the best option for you. The first, deacons of the, the first deacons of the church were chosen to address the needs related to women. And Anna probably battled poverty, loneliness, depression, but she never lost hope in God, the God of Israel who loved her. And she, for then later in scripture, became a powerful example of someone who never, ever gave up. She continued to persevere faithfully. And this wasn't during a time where the word of God was at a heightened state. There had been 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Malachi's warning in 430 BC was about the last time that we see scripture taking place. And 400 years later, we hear the words that God is sending a spokesperson, a forefront man in John the Baptist. 400 years. Years 
We get mad when somebody doesn't text us back in four minutes, my friends. 400 years. And yet, all of that time, she still believed. I believe it was partially because of her heritage she persevered. She was from the tribe of Asher, a tribe of hopeful perseverance, of love for the Lord. And I love the fact her father's name, Phineal, meant face of God. I wonder if that was prophetic in and of itself, that his daughter would actually touch the face of God. Persevering through difficult times is not always something that we do easily. 2,000 years has passed since the New Testament canon was completed. And the word, though it's full of grace and truth, though it gives us a glimpse into the life, the birth, the death of Jesus, it's filled with a staggering array of prophecies, The Jews as a people have been yet to open their eyes and ears. Think about that. The people that God created for the mission of telling the world about them 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus still deny that he was the Messiah. Man. But Jesus is. Jesus was always has been. And Jesus always will be the Messiah and the Savior of all people. He is God, fully God in every way, bending the ear of God the Father on our behalf. He is praying for us. He persevered a life of homelessness, poverty, For us, Jesus did all of that. And if you notice, Anna makes her greatest contribution in her weakest condition. 105 years old, girl had to be tired. We persevere by doing what we can. Sometimes it's easy to give up. The older that we get or the more that our bodies give way, we just go, man, is there anything left that I can do? I remember Phyllis Tittle, who passed away just just in this last year. She had been in her home, homebound for about five years at that point. A hundred years old, and and she would say often, because she could barely hear, so she'd yell at you. And she'd say, sometimes I wonder why the Lord has left me here. Have you ever thought, Phyllis, that it's for the same reason that God left Anna here all that time? Waiting, praying, seeking, so that others might too touch the very God of the universe. Because your prayers had reached the ears of heaven. Far too many saints can complain about getting discouraged about what they can't do or what they don't do. And it's not just old people. Like, listen, it's not just the elderly of the church that do that. It's the young people of the church, too. It's people that are middle-aged, like me and Chad. 
We can all find excuses and reasons and struggles in life. Guess what? Life is hard. And I think sometimes living in a middle-class Mecca makes it even more difficult because we are expected to do all the things, right? We have the kids, and we work the full-time jobs, and we, and we have baseball games and softball games, and we have all of these things that we're doing. We're caring for parents that are elderly. We're caring for children that are little. The people in the middle are doing a lot of both of those things. And we are tired. Oh, girlfriend, I am tired. We all think of reasons, and we can think of reasons why we can't do the things that God has called us to do, or we get discouraged about the things that we can't do because we don't have enough time or energy or lifeblood, and yet, and yet, oh, friends, do not become weary in doing good, for at just the right time, Jesus came. In our tiredness and in our discouragement, we cannot grow weary we cling to the continued promises of God just as Anna did. And so what do we do with what we have? How do we live a life that is fully presented to God, persevering through our difficult times, even in the middle of difficult times? Just like Anna, we don't give up. We continue to break down barriers that prevent us from making significant contributions to the kingdom of God. One thing that I absolutely love about the Christmas story is the variety of people that God used. Man, you've got the, the poorest of the poor, stinky shepherds living out in a field and angels, not just one, like showed up to Mary, or to Joseph in a dream, not just one angel, but a whole host of angels shows up to dirty, stinky, impoverished people living on a hillside to tell them that Messiah was there. Kings living in a faraway land. Animals. An innkeeper. The simple a mom, a 14-year-old girl. God could have chosen anybody. He chose them. And here is my encouragement for you today. God could have chose anybody. He chose you. He chose you to live life right where you're at. He chose you to follow his will and his plan. He chose you as children of God. And every place you go and every face that you see, every life that you encounter, you have an opportunity to live like Anna for them. To seek the Lord on their behalf, to be a people of prayer, and to persevere alongside them. When things are difficult, we continue to follow the guidance of the Lord so that the world can be ever changed. We don't give up. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let this be an encouraging word as we close today. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Right here, the writer is using this imagery of a race that has been run, a life that is being awarded and rewarded, this battle that we are fighting together. We're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses that unlike Steelers fans are actually cheering on their teams. I knew you were awake. Let us strip off everything that weighs us down, the weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily traps us up, trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on who? We keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of joy, because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. And then you won't become weary, and you won't give up. Instead of looking in the mirror, we look at what Jesus did. And we allow God to give us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. And they are, as, as they lead us in, in worship, I, I'm just going to invite you today, i um, I brought my anointing oil this morning because I know that some of you today are just in the need of healing. They, you're struggling today because of discouragement from, from physical ailments, from loss, just from life beating you up. And today, you need the encouragement of Jesus, or maybe you just need some healing in your life. I'm going to say these altars are always open, and I'm right here at any point. If you would like to be anointed for healing today, I would love to pray with you and anoint you. Will you stand with me today as we sing? Over every heart and every mind. Lord, there is healing in your presence for our families, for us. There is redemption waiting for us. We speak it in the name of Jesus. We seek you, O Heavenly Father, with prayerful repentance and hopeful promise. We ask, O God, that you lead and direct and guide. Give us the endurance to persevere through all things, not because of our strength or our wisdom, but solely because of yours. We pray that you will guide and lead us today, Heavenly Father, in all ways. And may we be obedient to your perfect plan. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he fill you with his light, his love, and may he grant you peace. Amen.